0: Yep. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. Do we want to go back to the other two songs? Time? Do we do that yeah, each month and take uh, time to hear about
1: missions around us and around the world. And today we're going to hear about the line in the streets that um, was previously known as, as something else in my country. Thus, we're in valley pregnancy center. Now Align ministry, so you may know it by that name. We're going to hear a little bit of a video about the ministry and their outreach, and then Laura's going to come and share a few things after the video. Ready. Early on in the coronavirus
2: pandemic, Jesus told us to be a city on a hill, like it says in Matthew 5 14. So he was essentially saying to us, I've given you my light and my truth. Don't be afraid. Don't shrink back. Shine brightly and boldly. And I'll show you new ways to serve people. And he did. Within days, we switched from serving clients in our four locations to making home deliveries of essential baby supplies like formula and diapers, and having sessions with clients by phone and through online Zoom meetings. One young mother of a newborn baby walked to two stores to find diapers, and instead found empty shelves. She was desperate when she called us, and then was overjoyed to hear that we could drop some off that day and deliver more to her doorstep each week. Another mom had an infant on a specialty formula that she couldn't find anywhere, and she called so stressed, wondering if we could help. Well, in God's providence, we had an ample supply of just what she needed. And I can tell you dozens of stories like this, like the rugged young man who rode his motorcycle to pick up diapers for his sister, stuffed them into his saddlebags and under his jacket, and then humbly said yes when the director offered to pray for him. Or the post-abortive women who had more time on their hands because of the coronavirus and one by one pressed through the pain of their abortion experience and they found freedom from their shame and bondage through the healing power of Jesus. Or the family of six who were all quarantined with COVID, unable to leave their house, and one of our staffers delivered baby supplies to their front porch. And then, weeks after the pandemic started, Our baby supplies began to diminish, so we put the word out to our supporters, to many of you, and the response was overwhelming. We received carloads of formula and diapers and generous monetary gifts, enabling us to keep our storehouses full. It was a bit like the story of Joseph, who was able to provide food during the famine. And Before long, several secular agencies were unable to obtain formula for their clients, When they learned that we had plenty, they began to advertise our ministry to their clients. And God granted us increasing credibility and favor throughout the entire region, and hundreds of new clients reached out to us. When they heard about the other services we offered, like prenatal and parenting classes, many of them signed up. One young mom shared during a Zoom call how much her seven-year-old daughter enjoyed the Bible-themed coloring pages we included with her baby supplies each week. She said her daughter was asking questions about the Lord that she didn't know the answers to. So we explained who Jesus is and what he's done for us, and the next week, the young mom shared that her daughter asked Jesus to be her Savior and that she herself rededicated her life to him. Well, as you can imagine, Providing ultrasounds during a pandemic has its own challenges and its own heavy duty protocol. Our staffers were determined to shine Jesus' light, and before long, we were providing an ultrasound for our first abortion minded client during COVID. She'd recently lost her job and was afraid to raise a baby in these uncertain times. But as the image of her 11-week-old baby danced across the screen, God gave her courage. She chose to carry the term and signed up for our prenatal classes. So what we've seen during the coronavirus is people more desperate, more open to prayer, more open to Jesus, more open to healing, and more open to the services we're offering. As a ministry, we are so privileged to respond to these people by championing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the sacredness of human life. And we are grateful to be doing that from a posture of alignment with Jesus. He's our leader, and he's the one who's saving lives. That is, by the way, the core reason for our name change from Susquehanna Valley Pregnancy Services to Align Life Ministries. Alignment with Jesus is the bedrock of everything we do, and it's God's heart for our clients as well. Their lives are often stress-filled and chaotic, and we try to provide an environment that is peaceful, calming, and welcoming. We convey alignment through streamlined furnishings, beautiful photography, and orderly, well-stocked baby boutiques. And most of all, through the love and truth of Jesus Christ. The word life in Align Life Ministries stands for the spiritual life of our clients because their greatest need is a relationship with Jesus and for the physical life of their babies because each one is an image bearer of the Most High God. And the word ministries in Align Life Ministries is plural because there are three aspects to our ministry pregnancy services, so each of our locations is called Align Pregnancy Services, strategic partnerships with other life affirming ministries, and equipping resources which we write in house and make available to the church at large. Jesus is Lord of Align Life Ministries, He's Lord of our lives and he's moved in great and meaningful ways in the lives of many, many vulnerable families through these trying times.
3: After I had my baby, I started developing high blood pressure and nobody was able to understand what's going on. The next day, something woke me up and I didn't know who I was, that I had a baby. I didn't know how to call 911. I can barely walk or talk or do anything. And somehow I was able to find help. And they later on find out that I was having a brain bleed and a stroke. They don't know how I survived. I have to learn how to walk, how to create, how to write a name. And the doctor told me over and over and over, you're going to have no more babies. You're putting your life in risk. Eight months after, I find out that I was pregnant. So then I come back to Align Life. Pregnancy services, talk to Marisu, and I'm not even listening, I'm just thinking, I'm not doing this, until she breaks me. In that second, I feel just so different, with so more hope, and I started trusting him again. So because I like pregnancy services, then I decide to give my baby. And the risky one was the best pregnancy of all the pregnancies. I didn't have any complications at all. The doctor came wondering, I don't understand how you survive, I don't understand how you do this, I don't understand how you walk so good now. In my mind, I understand. I'm like, okay, okay, that is with me. My relationship with God is in a right now. I'm very thankful today to Jesus because I trust him and he knows what he's doing. And I'm sure I'm going to be okay.
2: Irene's story is just one of hundreds of people whose lives have been touched by God through Align Life like Ministries. As I said earlier, God's clarion call to our ministry is to align with Jesus fervently and to shine his light brightly. And I believe it's his call to all of us in these turbulent times. People are struggling all around us. And as believers, we have the light of Jesus Christ to share with them. When we're aligned with him, we can shine for him. Thank you so much for championing the gospel and life with us.
0: Morning. So, the services they offer are amazing, and we're going to again support them this year. I'm sure you recall the pastors have done the baby bottle boomerang. And so, we're going to do that again. I have the baby bottles out there. Um, so, you take those with this week, and you have room. February 14th to fill those up and bring them back and we'll collect those no later than February 14th if you fill it up before then you can bring them back I'll have the box out there um, and we'll return those. They are asking that if you take a bottle you return it whether you fill it up or not. So uh, there's a sign up sheet out there we'll have Jen or one of the ushers will fill out the names to run our pass and around. If you don't want to take a physical bottle we are also offering you so I have the link to do that in the bulletin that's online. Um, you can go on there, fill out the form, donate however much you want to. You just have to make sure that under the church or group name that you put our church so they know who to assign that total to. Um, if you have any questions, you can call me
1: Okay, so make sure you pick up your, your bottle out there. I was teasing Jennifer, as she was deciding which one she wanted as they were out there on the table. They're all the same, so it doesn't matter which one you get. Um, and this segment fits well with what we're doing today for a couple of reasons. For, for one, what we're going to be talking about shortly is aligning our life with God and making sure that you're on track. And also because it is uh, the National Day of Sanctification. honor the life that God has given. And it's not just for the unborn, it's for the living of all ages, no matter what your condition, whether you have disabilities or considered normal or or whatever. Um, And uh, one of the things I run since I've been here or or run more about was how as we get older, we can tend to think uh, our life isn't as important
0: as much, or we don't have as much influence, or, or whatever. But when we consider the sanctity of life that
1: God has given everyone, that's not true. Our life has value everyone, and God's given to us, so we need to appreciate that, and we're him for that. So, as I said, it fits well for many reasons. Um, we're going to turn to our time of praise and prayer this morning, and uh, does anyone have a praise that they would like to share from the week? I'll already shared mine with the flyers. Yes. My mother
0: fell last week and Okay. So and
1: fell her So Okay, for those who didn't hear, a 9 year old mother fell this week, and other than a slight bruise, uh um, Nothing, no damages, even fell on a displaced, previously displaced hip, and no issues there, so we're thankful for that. What else? Yes? You want have an update on Dan Boat. Yes? He's back at, um, the side village. Okay. Okay, so Dan Burt is back at Psy Village having therapy and seems to be running well. Right? Okay, so that's
0: a praise as well. Yes? That was Wilmer, if
1: I Omar is home after his heart surgery after ten days. So thankful for that. Okay. So Lord, we have hope that we okay. Thankful for the hope that we sang about back. To be being prayer for Oren. Um, he had surgery this week, both on his sciences and um, assist on his consoles, and it's causing quite a bit of discomfort. Um, so I pray for the recovery for Oren. Any other praises or requests? Okay. Yes? in yeah. Is at home. is thankful for the testimony of Jake Chen's life and prayer for his wife Nancy as she settles affairs and gets ready to come home and extend the family as they continue to travel to support her back and forth. So um, you should have gotten an email this week. If, if, you're, if the church has your email, you should have gotten an email this week about a service we are hoping to have in the of Jake and uh, ask for a response um, so that we know whether Mount Pleasant is big enough or whether we need to find another location. So um, if you would take a moment to respond to that today and tomorrow um, and uh, also if you if you have a memory of, of Jake um, that's a testimony or, or something that impacted you, let me know that as well so we can include that in, uh, in that service. Anything else this morning? Mom, let's go to prayer. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to join together in your name. Thank you for the time of praise and worship and for those who prepared and uh, gave their time to lead us. We chose the songs that would move our hearts in the direction of the message that you want to share this morning. Thank you for each one who serves with the sound, with the video, with the media that is on the screen, with the ushers, with everything that takes place so that we can have a service for you. Thank you for those at home that are making time to join us in the way that they are comfortable. We just thank you most of all that as we do that, as we gather. Us, you release your power among us. You make yourself known in a deeper way to us, and we trust that this morning your spirit is going to be taking the words that are shared and touching our hearts, and our minds, and drawing us closer to you. And I pray Lord, that that is what would happen, that you would guide my words, that they would be coming not for myself but for me. And Lord, we pray for our line ministries. Thank you for the testimony that was on the screen there, and the way they are touching lives, even in a crisis where they, they found ways to adapt and work even through their limitations. And people are hurting more than ever, as, as she said. Thank you that they are part of the solution of healing that hurt, and showing the the opportunity that we have as a body to support them. and I pray that as we select a bottle or as we go online, that you would direct us in what to give and how to give and that you would be the need of that ministry. Lord, I thank you for bringing notes in home as we've already prayed and this morning to do with the our fellowship. We thank you for that. We thank you for over the last couple of weeks, we thank you for his testimony, for his leadership, and we just continue to pray that you would raise up other individuals to, to take his place, where he served in so many ways. He had such vision, such a heart. May those that he pulled his life in the Lord, step in, and fill the needs, Lord, would you be with most of all, right now, she needs her comfort. We know that we will see Jake again, and she does as well. But that doesn't lessen right now her missing him, not having him there each day. So, would you bring her comfort and peace? Would you guide her as she settles the affairs there in Zimbabwe, and prepare her as she plans to return to the U.S.? Or would you pay the way? Would you be with family as they travel? Being a hurting recovery. Lord, we lift up Warren this morning who has gone through surgery. and The recovery time is um, taking a little longer than anticipated. The pain level is higher than anticipated. Lord, to bring comfort this morning, to bring healing. And as I pray to allow this surgery to do the work intended and no more be required. We pray for Daniel Burberry. Helping through this therapy, they would regain strength and be restored. We pray for Faith, who's having a birthday soon. We pray that the cards and things that we sent her today would be an encouragement and reminder of how much she's also appreciated for her years of service. Lord, we lift up David of Charlotte, and uh, Charlotte has not been with us the last couple of weeks. Before. It's greater need for care. So do encourage for this morning and give her strength. Would you prepare them for the days ahead. Would you encourage us as a body to be there more often as a support, as a help? Would you, would you lay them on our minds at the right moments to call or to visit, to come alongside them, us to be the fellowship that we talked about just a couple of months ago when they needed the most. Lord, we thank you for Wilmer. We thank you for walking with him during this heart surgery and that he's now home after 10 days. We just praise you for that and ask that him continue to go well last week. We were praying because there seemed to be some complications. Thank you that that is over. Lord, we pray for with Kaylor as she's been diagnosed now how this can affect those who are older and who have other um, struggles, so we just ask that you would to heal from this so you would give her body strength as well. Continue to pray for Warren Tompkins. Ask that you renew his strength as he goes through therapy. He hearing, you with Mary know that Dan's heartaches as they can't be with her. as She faces Challenges each day. Just pray direct in that situation. Lord, we pray for our nation who will soon be transitioning leadership. Our desire is there to be no more of the violence and the sin that was witnessed recently. Lord, would you President Trump and that you be with President Biden as he takes over. Help us to remember to pray for our leaders, no matter whether we agree with them or not. Your word says that you appoint leaders, so help us to lift them up and seek you on their behalf. Lord, again, I ask that you would renew our hearts now as. Well, if you are joining us here today, either you weren't here last week and don't know what to expect, or you decided I haven't totally lost my mind talking about cats and dogs and theology. Um, We started a new series last week called Cat and Dog Theology, where we're using some of the stereotypes or tendencies of these animals to represent how... Different people view God, how they respond to the message of the Bible in, in life. And it is just an illustration. It's not meant to, um, to bash one pet or the other, or say whatever pet you have isn't good. It's simply having a fun look to illustrate some of the things that really ought to challenge us uh, in our life and in our walk. And so we said that dogs illustrate uh, a positive, dogs saying, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, you must be God. In other words, they see everything that God does for them, and their response is adoration, love, appreciation. Um, it's an illustration of the right view to have as we uh, look at God's glory. But we also said that the average Christian says God is the main character of the Bible, but lives in Acts a different way, and they place humanity in the central role. And that's represented by cats who say, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, I must be God. We know that's not true, and we said last week that no cat, no person, really, no no Christian, really says, I must be God. But in subtle ways, we allow the enemy to distract our focus. to to help us get the focus on the wrong character, which is us. And so today, um, each of us have a fight going on inside of us, a cat fight, struggling for control of how we view life. And the enemy doesn't want us to see God in his glory. He doesn't want us to give him glory. and God and his spirit do. And we want to make sure this morning that we're on the right track to seeing God's glory, and living in the right way. And to help us do that, I'm going to ask the young people to come up front and be part of our children's moment, because we have an illustration to, to share. So and they may have thought I forgot, because I'm only going do this before prayer time. And uh, today, make sure you keep some separation there for me, just like school Thank you. Um, but they may have thought I forgot, because I'm only do this before our prayer time, But I thought it fit in well right here um, because we want to help show the adults how to be on the right track. Okay, so they're just about situated. So this morning I brought along a train. It's a train I've had for years, I haven't used a whole lot. It's a small train, if you're not familiar with model trains, this is called an N scale, all right? So this is the caboose, not real big. And I brought along some different pieces of track. I have this track. And I have this track, and I have this track. Which one of these tracks do you think that train runs on? I saw your hand first. The smallest one. Are you sure? Wouldn't the train run better on the biggest track to get it lots of support? Well, what about this one? That's about the same width as the train. Wouldn't that work? Maybe. What do you guys think? some are shaking heads, some are going like this. But you were right. It'll only run on this track. Why is that? Yeah. Because it's the same size. It's what the train was made for, right? They came with, as a matter of fact, this came with the train when I bought it. Trains only run on one track, right? On one kind of track. There might be lots of tracks, but they're all the same. And that's, we're gonna see in a moment that that's true for us. Now, what makes a train go? The tunnel. An engine, yeah. So if I turn on the power and give it a little encouragement, the engine will make the train go, right? What happens if you don't have an engine? It won't go at all, no. if the engine makes the train go, what do you need those other cars for? Logan? I may have to turn that off because I can't hear you. What is it? It carries stuff. Why do we need to do that? The point of the train is it's supposed to take something from one place to another place. Hmm. That's a good thought. Where do these cars go? Behind the train. So where are they going to end up? What do you think? Well, they're going to go on the train track. But if these cars are connected to the engine, where are they going to go? With the engine, right? They can only go where the engine goes. What did we talk about last week? Who remembers? What word did I say we're going to be talking about for the coming weeks, several weeks? No? Glory. Yeah. We're going to be talking about God's glory. And this train can help us understand that. little See, we said that trains are built for just one size track. And that track kind of represents the foundation that we're supposed to have following god there's just one way to go and there's there's all kinds of illustrations we could make but jesus says he's the way the truth and the life he's the way to god but it also represents the way after we meet jesus and where we're to go and just like the engine decides where the cars go jesus should decide where we go we should only go where he goes we should only do what he does Just like the Bible says, he only did what God the Father did. And we need to remember we're not the engine. We don't get to pick where we go. God gets to pick. Our job is to follow. And we're supposed to carry something. What is it we're supposed to carry? God's glory. That is right. We talked about that last week, that we're supposed to take on his image, and we're supposed to represent God's glory. And to wrap up, we're going to look at a verse. Has anybody ever heard the phrase one-track mind? Well, that's something that that we talk about, and it means being focused on just one thing, and that's completely appropriate when you're talking about following Jesus. We're supposed to have a one-track mind. This verse says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Remember the Lord in everything you do, and he will give you success. So what I want you to remember today is we need to be like the train cars, and we need to make sure that we're not trying to be the engine. We're not trying to decide what's right, what's wrong, where we're going. That we're following whatever Jesus says. All right, and then we let God's glory be what we carry. All right. Thanks for helping out, guys. You can run back to your teacher, or I walk. Walk would probably be better. Someone might take me literally. little So, obviously, there's a a lot there that we could uh, jump into just from what I shared with the kids, but uh, we're going to focus a little bit more on trains. Is anyone here a train buff? No? Kind of? All right. Does anybody know what the standard railroad gauge is in the United States? In other words, what's the measurement from one rail to another rail? In the United States? I didn't think you would know. I didn't know either. It so what happens it's four feet, eight and a half inches. Well, that's kind of a unique measurement, isn't it? Four feet, eight and a half. Who came up with that? And we already said why that's important. If you're not using the right track, the train can't run, um, can't be used. The train is only made for, for one type of track. But why is the train? In the U.S. that size. well, The answer is because that's the size they were in England. And people who started to build trains in the U.S. came from England and began to build train systems. And they brought those specs along with them. Okay, so if that's what happened, then why would trains that size, the railroads that size in England? Well, because that's what size the horse-drawn trains were that existed before trains. And the people who built the trains had also built the trams, and so they just continued to use the same size. Why were trams Trams that size? Trams were that size because that's what size wagons were. Of course, strong wagons also had the same wheel distribution uh, width. And they did that because when they started to make trams, they didn't want to make all new machines and and jigs and tools and things to make, so they, they just used what was already there to build the wagons, and they started to build the trams. Okay? So it was that size because of wagons. Why were wagons that size? There's more. Because they had to fit the ruts in the roads that already existed. Well, why were there ruts in the road already? Well, they had been there for thousands of years from the Roman chariots. Roman chariots were first used um, in England in about 43 A.D., until about 410 A.D., So for several hundred years um, Romans in England and they had built roads and things and their chariots measured that size four feet, eight and a half inches between the wheels. Now why would a chariot be that size? Well because that's how they used two horses and that's how much space two horses' back ends needed to fit into a chariot. Alright? So that's how we get our train size today, is 2,000 2, years ago, measured approximately more than having inches to fit uh, the full territory. So the question is, what's that got to do with anything? And what's it have to do with today? Well, we'll come back to that. In the modern age, we have space travel. We have something called a space shuttle. And the space shuttle uses booster rockets these rockets are built in Utah. But the rocket launches in Florida. So how do the rockets get from Utah to Florida? They use trains. Yeah. Now, if they use trains, what do railways have? They have bridges and they have tunnels. Yeah. How big are tunnels? Or trail train. Or a railway just big enough for the train to pass. They don't put in a lot of extra work and make it extra big. So it's just a little bigger than the train so it could pass. So how big are the lockets? Just big enough to fit through the tunnels and the bridges that the railways have. So when man decided that it was time for space travel, they were at least somewhat limited by the size of two horses 2,000 years ago before okay. the chariot it. What's the point of all that? Hmm. The point is, anything that we set out to do is influenced by things that happened before. And often we don't even give it thought. A starting point can be long survival. It's just assumed. It's become part of us. And we use it every day as a filter. We talked about filters last week. And it can have an impact on us without realizing it. But if that starting point wasn't quite right, isn't quite accurate, then where we end up is going to be limited, or maybe even wrong altogether. So we want to make sure that we're at the right starting point, at the right foundation, and to continue the analogy, we're on the right track for following God, for creating our theology of who God is and what life looks like. And we're going to start by turning to Matthew chapter 7 today. And we've touched on, I don't know if it was this Matthew or Luke, but this similar scripture scripture we've looked at briefly. But we're going to read verses 21 to 27. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and perform many miracles? is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I'd be surprised if that scripture is new to anyone if you had not heard that before or had not heard messages on that before. And we won't dwell on it real long, but it talks about having the right foundation. And if we don't have the right foundation, we can be lost. And the first thing I want us to see is at the very beginning. It says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. And what's that mean? It means we can be doing the right things. It says that they prophesied in his name, it says they drove out demons and did miracles, either. But Jesus said, I don't know it can be possible to do the right things for the wrong reasons and be on the wrong path. If we're focused on ourselves instead of God's glory, if we're looking for what we can get, then we're not really on the right path. We're not really worshiping God. There's a danger in that. We want to make sure that we're on the right path. And he talks there beginning in verse 24 about the right foundation, being on the rock. What exactly is it? Well, if you read it, it says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. The foundation is the words that Jesus shared, that the Bible shares, that that God has given us to allow us to know him and know what he wants from us. That's the foundation. The building itself is the works that we put into it. So both men built on a foundation of their understanding and the work to build a house that anyone's wants to the key is to be at the right place at the starting point to make sure what we're laying our building on is right and that is God's word and so we need to make sure that we're hearing God's word correctly we need to make sure we're applying God's word correctly that we're not misinterpreting anything We read this verse a moment ago with the young people in a slightly different translation, but it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. We've focused for several weeks on what we're to be committed to, and one of those things was committed to the apostles' teaching. Why are we being committed to the apostles' teaching? So that we have a right to, so that we're not leaning on our own understanding. We need to make sure that in everything we submit to him. And then it says we'll make our path straight. Then we'll be on the train track that is following Jesus. But if we're leaning on our own understanding, not on the track at all. We said last week that this is all part of Satan's strategy. It's, it's how he gets us distracted from God's glory. We begin to think it's all about us. He wants us to lean on our own understanding just like he did with Adam and Eve. He started to plant a seed in their mind of, of the fruit and what the real meaning of that fruit was and what it would do for them. And instead of listening to what God said, they relied on their own understanding looked good, it tasted good, it must be right. And it didn't lead in the right path. And so we need to make sure that we're not putting our thoughts and desires ahead of God. What he wants and what he deserves. One of the ways that Satan tries to get us off track is by being selective. You know what that word is? know what that mean by that? Right I have an illustration. We're talking about cat-dog theology, so to start the question, are cats selective in what they eat? There's a specific word that I think applies to cats more than anything else. Benefee. Benefee. Somebody already knows it? Benefee. Yeah. They're very choosy in what they eat. And that's what Satan does to us. It's much like a refrigerator where we walk to the door and we open it and we stare in and we want something to eat. And what do we pick? Do we pick the carrots and celery and the salad that my wife has in there? Or do we pick the comfort food? Maybe close the refrigerator and go to the cupboard and get the cookies and the tips. That's being selective, And we're either going to select The good stuff, or we're going to select the not-so-good stuff that gives us comfort, that gives us a good feeling. My wife and I were just saying this morning, um, I've gained a lot of the weight back that I lost last year. My uh, my belly is starting to make the shirt look a little tighter, um, and I need to make better choices. I need to be more selective in the correct way. Um, to to change that. But anyways, the enemy has this way of encouraging us to be selective in our view of God, in our view of how we live out what we know about God. And he gives us this idea that life is about us being happy. I talked already about that in the the fruit. He painted this picture of what life could be if you go ahead and He does that to us. This can be revealed in a lot of ways, but one of the things that jumped in my mind this morning is how we be church. What does what does coming to church represent? What is it for? Is it to make us feel good? Or is it to recognize God and worship Him? And there are many who jump from church to church because they're looking for what will fulfill them, what will meet their needs, rather than asking God what are you doing, what do you want me to do? And even if we're not jumping churches, you may criticize the music, the announcements, or the video. Why would the pastor use cats and dogs? Instead of looking for what does God what is God saying about Himself? What can I learn about God this week? It's, a, it's all about our approach. So, a couple of things we're going to look at that cats are selective about. Well, first of all, they're selective in their reading of scripture. We looked at that a little bit last week, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. The cats are choosy which verses they use because not all verses make them feel good. And I chose one here to read to you. It's from Exodus chapter 20. It's verses 3 to 6 from the New Living Translation. And if you're familiar, this is part of the Ten Commandments. It says, you must not have any other God but like me. for a thousand generations on those who love me. And There's two ways of reading the first Someone with a cat theology who is looking to make themselves feel good or, or meet their needs. would focus on that last part. Oh, God loves his unfailing love on me. For a thousand generations. And they skip over the part that says, I'm a jealous guy. You ever think of God being jealous? is isn't jealousy wrong, but he is. It says he's jealous for his glory, and he will not tolerate us putting anything else of affection in his place, whether that be a spouse, or a child, or money, or a home, or a car, or whatever. He will not tolerate us putting anything above him.
0: That should open our
1: eyes. Too often we skip over those parts, and we only focus on God loves. There's this um, slogan, for lack of a better word, the church is often using. Please, um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. I don't think there is, but it's to make a point. You often hear pastors say God is good, and we'll get a response all the time, and then they say all the time. God is yes, good. And that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. The question is, how are we hearing it? Are we hearing that as, God is good. He is glorious. He is amazing. I just can't. I can't appreciate him enough. Or are we hearing that God is good. He's going to make me special. He's going to give me comfort. He's going to me. it's all about how we do it. You never hear a church's team, God is jealous all the time for His glory, but that's an equally true statement, and can't. There's really no way to twist that to ourselves. God is jealous all the time for His glory. That's the view we need to have. One other comment about reading scripture before we move on is, are we reading all of scripture? Have you read the whole Bible? Or just start the part? I started this January not to brag, but I think for the third time to read through the chronological Bible. That will take you in one year through the Bible. And what I like about it is it does it in historical order. So the verses that go together they pull them together. You don't necessarily read all of Genesis and all of Exodus. It brings the historical points together so it makes sense to me in the timeline. There's other tools out there. But if you've never read the whole Bible, then how can you know the whole Bible? There's a story there that he wants you to read. What else are cats selective about? Well, applying Scripture. If they're choosing in what they read, they can't help but be choosing in how they apply it. And for this, I just want to give an illustration. Most of you know the story of the Israelites from, from the time of Jacob until the time of um, Moses. Just so very quickly, Jacob was the son of Isaac, the brother of Esau. God said, I'm going to make him in a nation. He had 12 sons. One of those sons was Joseph. Um, he had a dream that God was going to... Place him over his brothers. They didn't like that. The brothers sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. He's a, a slave for a while. He's in prison for a while. And then he becomes second only to Pharaoh. And he prepares the land for famine. And so when the famine comes, his brothers have to come and get food from him. And he saves his family. But they end up living there. And their, their, their descendants for the next 400 years and they become slaves because the Egyptians are afraid of them. So for 400 years they're slaves and then God raises up Moses. I don't have enough time to tell his whole story, but Moses leads them out of Egypt to the doorstep of a promised land. So I have some questions. Did God have a plan for Jacob? Yes, he did. Did God have a plan for Joseph? Yes, he did. Did God have a plan for Moses? Yes, he did. Good plans, right? You see good things there. Did God have a plan for Esau? Yes, he did. It says he was going to make him into a nation as well. But we tend to overlook that lesson because it's not God's chosen people. Did God have a plan for Joseph's brothers? Yes, he did. Not just Joseph brothers as well. They were part, and still are part of the nations, of, of the tribes of Israel. But we tend to overlook them and we look at Joseph, because he was the chosen one. Did God have a plan for the Israelites who lived in Egypt for 400 years before Moses came? Yes, he did. you know what his plan was? That they would honor him in their slavery. So when we read Scripture and we apply it, which which what part do we identify with? What do we pull out? Only the parts where God chooses somebody to be his instrument, or do we also realize that there's other people not mentioned, not personally described, who had him a little rougher, but we're still that part of God's plan. We need to make sure that when we apply scripture, we don't take for granted that we're Moses or Joseph. And we can use lessons from their life by all means to help us understand certain things that we go through, but we cannot assume that we deserve everything that God gives certain individuals. We might be one of the 400 year slaves that is just supposed to live out slavery, honoring God. Romans 12 1 and 2 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to attest and
0: approve what God's will
1: is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In order to rightly apply scripture, we have to be ready to sacrifice ourselves. For whatever God asks. For whatever he has in mind. Are we willing to let God use us for whatever he wants, whether we're lifted up or not? Whether we're taken out of the situation that we're in and maybe we don't like or not? Are we willing to recognize that God is God and he's working out his plan and give him glory regardless? We are called to present our bodies as a little living sacrifice. And then we'll understand the will of God
0: and where he's leading.
1: Finally, where else are they selective? They're selective in adopting Scripture. In other words, creating the theology. So cats, if they limit what they read and they limit what they apply, their theology, their understanding of God is going to be skewed because they haven't brought anything in. And we need to make sure that we're adopting all of Scripture to be a part of our life to have the right view of God. And again, I'll just pull out a couple of quick things. Leviticus 19.11 it's not the Ten Commandments, but it it reviews some of those points. 1911 says, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Most always say, well, yeah, I agree with that. I don't don't steal. That's that's obvious. Do not lie. Yeah, I think that's right. Do not deceive one another.
0: Hmm.
1: Do we ever... You know, we have this way of justifying certain things. We may say, I never feel that have you ever put the wrong information on your taxes so you didn't have to pay so much. Have you ever taken a pen or pencil off from work? Maybe the best feeling or not? But there's lots of illustrations. But do we fully make scripture our theology? And agree with it 100%. Or do we allow in certain areas where we think no one's watching. We allow that theology to be tweaked a little bit for our comfort, for our good. Another familiar verse, Matthew 5, 27, 28. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Why did Jesus have to say that? Because no one there would have disagreed with him that adultery was wrong. But when it's something hidden that no one else knows, that's where the test comes. That's where our submission, or our lack of submission to God, is really on display. Do we adopt all of Scripture into our beliefs or just the parts? What we like or make sense, which leads to our closing points. What causes cats to be selected? Well, human reason, we already talked about it. do not lean on your own understanding. When we become selected, it's because we're trying to think what makes sense. How can a human? that yeah, we do it every day. We try to question God and say, God, this doesn't make any sense to me. God, if, it, if I was God, I'd do it a different way. God, if it was me, I would just answer this prayer of human reason. Why did God use Jacob and not Esau? I don't know. Romans talks about that. It's for the glory of God. Can't rely on our understanding because we'll never get it. But that leads us to being selective. And one of the things in our in our reasoning is we think life should be fair. And I wish I had more time to go into these stories, but three three things. There's a man in the Bible named Jabez. He's only in a couple of verses. He says he's praying to God, "Oh, that you would bless me." Indeed. In other words, bless me real good. And the Bible says God did. Then there's a girl in 2 Kings chapter 5. She was an Israelite. And the Arameans came and attacked. We don't know. It doesn't say what happened to her family. Most likely her family was killed. She was taken captive. She became the slave of Naaman, the leader of the army of Aaron. And so the natural reaction would be to not think too much of Aaron, right? that girl. It says that he had leprosy. And most of us would say, good, you deserve it. And this girl said, no, you need to go see the prophet so you can be healed, And he was saved. And then there's a story of Stephen in the New Testament. who says he was full of the grace of God. His face showed the glory of God as he was stoned to death for being true to God. And the question is, in which one of those stories was God fair? Was it the first story where God answered the man and blessed him? Was it the second story where the girl was separated from her family, probably lost them forever, had to serve as a slave, and the man she was a slave to got to be saved? Or was it Stephen who did everything God asked, who was filled with the glory of God and still died. See, so life's not about being there. It's about displaying God's glory wherever we are, and whatever situation he puts us in. Habakkuk 3 says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the field produces no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will be joyful in my God, in God, my Savior. It's not about being fair. It's about being focused. It's about being on the right track. It's about seeing God's glory and understanding who it is and following Him anywhere. Finally, part of the problem in our being selective is this American culture the American dream that we grew up with, that we think we should always be the winner. We think life should always be about getting more, about getting better, about being comfortable. We've lived in a land like that for too long, and we've assumed that that's what life is. But it's not. We've been blessed. We don't deserve it. And so... 1 Peter says this. 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had a suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though we find by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus. Is what it's saying is, if we suffer, if we struggle, if we don't have everything comfortable and perfect, it's supposed to result in praise. It's supposed to result in God's glory. And so when we come to the end and ask, are we on the right track? From what we encourage, are we where we need to be seen by and living out our life? And the thought I want to leave you with is I believe we're headed into a storm. How many of you enjoyed 2020? We did, at least parts of it. Parts not so much. And we want that to be over, and we don't want to see any more of the um, unrest that existed in our nation over race and over politics. And things. my thought is, it's not going to get better; it's going to get worse. Why do I say that? Because scripture tells me we're headed to a time when God himself will question, is there faith in the world? Is there anyone out there who believes? We're headed into a time when man will follow after one person who sets himself up as God. And that's God.
0: And so I'm not trying to
1: scare anyone or anything, but my point is, I'm going to expect things to get a whole lot better. I'm hoping it's not terrible. But if we don't face it, our kids are, or our grandkids, and if we're not on the right track, then we're going to fall with a great crash. We need to get our foundation right, the way we see God while such a hard time becomes that we can't see better. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time today, and I ask that your word, not mine, would remain where you want you to pose it.